0: Um, also, before we study the Bible together, I want to appreciate and honor and love on the guys that get here in the morning to do all this. We're toying with some different designs and seating in hopes that we can all be together sooner than later. Um, and it was just especially fun this morning. I think we were done at 7.45, we get here at 7, and it was due to a bunch of guys being here. There are six or seven guys here, and it was just a good time. Uh, so, any anybody... Um, that would be interested in that, to see Clay after worship, if you're interested in being a part of that. We have a lot of fun, and the work is is getting faster as we figure it out here seven years in, so invite you into that. Uh, we are approaching, for the last week, John chapter 14. What was going to be two weeks in John chapter 14 have turned into four, and this will be our fourth and final one, um, and a lot more great stuff and deep things coming from the mouth of Jesus. Um, and this comes in a time of several months where we've gone through the gospel of John and we've looked at Jesus and we've wanted to see him purely um, as someone in the apostle John that got to walk with him and hear him speak and watch him do all the things he did um, gives us a firsthand account. And we've wanted to drop all preconceived things at the door and see him and behold him and just to tell you, from a, a pure look at Him, we cannot help but respond and love Him as God gives um, us heart eyes to do that and see. So hopefully, prayerfully, we get to continue to do that, to see Him and be changed from it. I think a lot of us have probably are probably over the news, uh, have drifted from the news here lately. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't change what's happening. We have earthquakes killing thousands of people. We have Afghanistan. Afghanistan and terrified citizens and an oppressive Taliban and then our involvement in some very intense rhetoric around it recently. Um, I have some dear friends in Northern California that are used to walking out their door and breathing smoke now for several months and not to mention COVID. Um, so some of us might be on edge slightly um, a little bit in current events. And I praise God for bringing us to a place in scripture For a long time where the primary message and point of all of this is Jesus from his mouth saying, Take heart, take heart, believe, love me. And we see Jesus talk to a very anxious room, a very anxious little flock that was well acquainted with famines and droughts and sickness and especially political turmoil. But a new one for them was following God in the flesh around for three years to hear him in this moment say, I'm about to leave. But guys, take heart. And as you will see me God in the flesh dying on a cross, it will look really bad. It'll look really bad when you see me hang my head and breathe my last breath. It'll look really bad when a stone goes in front of my tomb. It'll look really bad, but it's going somewhere, so take heart. And I pray that we as a church would take heart in the the completeness, the the full story of that work, the resurrection power of that work and Hear his reassurance today. So before we read, we're going to pick up in verse 15. I want to recap a little bit. We're in this deep, dark talk as Jesus gets ready to approach the cross in the upper room with his disciples. We've heard some pillar statements of the faith. We've heard a commandment to love one another as Jesus has loved. We've heard him point to himself and say, I am the way, the truth. The life, And we've seen a broken reception come from His disciples. And last week we dealt with the confusing statement of, anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. We dealt with that. Um, so this week we'll see that same setting. will be in that same place. And really the same purpose for us not to let our hearts be troubled. Um, on the basis of there being many rooms, a, a big space in His Father's house prepared for the church. Him being the way, the truth, the life in a person to that place, Him being God, showing us what God looks like, and then letting us share in that work as well, giving us all we need to do that work, to do the same works He did, even greater works than these. We looked at that phrase, and we allude to the fact that what will make this possible is the Holy Spirit. And we said we would get to meet Him and interact with Him this week in the text. So that's what we're going to do. Today, specifically, we're going to look at three more reasons to not let our hearts be troubled. We heard in, in the beginning of 14 when we started this, Jesus, in this really scary context, said, let not your hearts be troubled. And we get three more reasons to be reassured and to take heart in the person and work of Jesus today. So I'm going to read and pray. Um, I'm not gonna, we're going to go 15 through 31. I'm just going to read 15 through 21 right now. So John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me... Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and manifest myself to him. Let's pray. God, we continue to thank You for these words in this space, this secret, special space with You and Your church for You letting us listen and watch. God, help us hear with um, spiritual ears and understand with minds helped by Your Spirit. God, help us hear. From you, hear your words of reassurance and believe you. Help us believe what you say because we believe who you are. May we see the person of Jesus through his living word. And we ask through him. Amen. So first of three reasons to not let our hearts be troubled in the face of what we see around us right now. Number one, the cool connection between love and obedience. We want to see the connection between love and obedience, and let us re, let it reassure us in the in the face of a scary context that we find ourselves in, like this context that these men found themselves in. We see this throughout this passage that we read, first and fifteen that we read. So, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We read it again in twenty one. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verses twenty three and twenty four basically repeats the same thing and. In 31, in a very cool way, the concept extends to Christ and His Father. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So we see the love and obedience, love and keeping the commandments knit together. So I want to talk about what that means using a little bit from all those passages. And my fear is, and what I've noticed in myself this week, really over the past couple weeks is our minds and our language and perhaps our background does some things to these verses that I think cloud what Christ is saying and reassuring to these men. And I know for me it was such a joy to hear them with help from study and resource, but also help from the Holy Spirit in quiet and stillness. And we'll actually speak to what that looks like in a little bit. But we hear this, if you love me you'll keep my commandments, and I think we hear it with this going on a finger pointing at it it might connect it to maybe innocent but maybe not maybe darker or more sinister like manipulative phrases and um, I mean my friend doesn't do this I've heard of some spouses that that do something like this maybe it's a lazy Saturday morning and a spouse is like if you love me you'll go reheat this coffee for me so I don't have to get up I I can't relate to that but some of y'all might can relate to that And when I first read this, that's what I hear, maybe in a a more serious tone, it might be a more punitive thing, maybe in a class or at work, if you don't do this, then you will be fired. Um, Or maybe in an unhealthy or toxic relational sense where it's like, if you love me, you'll do this, this, or this for me. You'll achieve or garner my love by doing this activity. And the problem is, if we take that to here, if we hear, if you love me, then go do this and prove it, we get this sense that Jesus is saying, if, if you love me, go off and do these things and prove it. Or, or worse, we think, go off and do these things and foster a love for me, generate a love for me. And pretty soon we're doing this and that, doing spiritual activity, and we're suppressing the fact that nothing in our heart wants to do it, that it's totally manufactured, and you might be here today out of, I don't want to be here, we're going to sing the songs, and then the guy's going to get up and talk and do the stuff, and then I'm going to get out of here, and I know that I have to come here and do this, because if I don't, then I don't love, and applying that to all kind of spiritual activity, I know I have to do A, B, and C to be in a good place, and a disclaimer in this conversation, of course we need to be inspectors of our activity, of our fruits. There will be some times that we will definitely underscore the discipline part of spiritual disciplines. We won't won't always feel like positioning ourselves in a place to hear from God or look up at God. But if there is zero intrinsic motivation for us to do the works of Christ or position ourselves before Christ or love people or do any of the activity that we see Christ do, then we might be approaching it wrong. And it's not like going into the exit sign at Walmart where you still get in. It's like trying to go down on an elevator that's going up. It, It doesn't work like that. And I think even the word commandments we just take as wooden rules. And if we'll look at Jesus' commandments throughout the Gospel of John, yes, there's some commandments like love one another, but most of the things that Jesus commands in the Gospel of John specifically are things like believe in me. Follow me. He'll give one in John 15. Abide in me. They're not things we can march off and go check and do. They're things out of a transform identity. They're relative to him first before a behavioral result. They start with him. So this is what I learned this week out of verse 15. That was new for me. Um, just as far as Greek and tenses and all that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The will keep is a future tense. It's a future tense verb. This will happen if you love me. It's not an imperative. So this is not a coach saying, if you want to stay on this team, you will be at practice. It is not that, and I think that's how we read it and hear it a lot. This is Christ saying, if you love me, if you will look at me, if you will see me, hear me, cherish me, desire me, then obedience and keeping my commandments will happen. It'll result out of you. It'll come out of you. The fruit will follow. And then we look at the rest of these verses, and it it, it makes sense. Verse 21, if you're loving and cherishing Jesus, it'll be obvious. Hey, that person's got to be head over heels for Jesus because it's causing new behavior. And we see a dark backside in 24. If there's no new behavior, If there's no obedience, there's no way that that person is cherishing Jesus. And in verse 24, is just the important truth that understanding this does not remove the weight of these words or the accountability, the examination value of these words, but it does change the treatment. If we look in and see disobedience... Whether it's an identity of disobedience and rebellion to God or in our lives as Christians, just the periodic struggle we have with our old sin nature, it's because we're not loving Him. It's from us not desiring Him. This word is the same word from John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and He tells Nicodemus, humans loved the darkness more than they loved the light. They wanted the world in rebellion to God more than they wanted God. And this is Jesus saying, If you want me, if you desire me more, then obedience will flow from that. And it'll come out of that. If we're loving Him and wanting Him, obedience is happening. And we're doing what He's called us to do. And you've heard of a vicious cycle. This is the opposite it's a, a beautiful cycle, but it's not started by works. Even verse 31. Jesus said, the world will know that I love the Father because of my works. The works don't generate the love of the Father. So we see this consistently through these. So for us, I pray that as a church, we would take heart that a holy, perfect God has squared up with our disobedience, has seen all of it. I see it. And he says, I'm about to make you a natural. I'm about to change you. If you see me. And even us being able to see him starts with his love for us. A gift of spiritual eyes on spiritual hearts that in and of themselves are naturally calloused and stubborn to see Jesus. God lets us see him. And if we see him rightly, we can't help but love. And out of our love, we can't help but keep his commandments. Pray that we would take heart in that. That's cool. That's cool while the world's on fire. Second reason to take heart is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So I want to overlap this a little bit with what we just talked about. Um, Look in verse 21 again. So whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So this love that's going on between us and Jesus and the Father, and it's a good love triangle it's good and it's equaling obedience and what's coming out of it also is is jesus says i'll manifest myself to him that that means appear so jesus is saying to this person that's in this love connection this loving relationship i'll show myself to them i'll appear to them and yes jesus will literally appear to these men after the resurrection but i think he's thinking a lot bigger and past even that moment because of his answer to Judas. And I love how John says, you know, Judas asks a question, and Judas says, "Jesus, why wouldn't you just show your resurrected body to the whole world? Surely that would fit you. Know, everybody would believe you then. And John makes a note. He says, this isn't that Judas. It's not the bad Judas. This is a, a different Judas. So Judas says, that surely that'll work. It's a question very similar to Philip's from a couple of weeks ago, where Philip says, hey, just let us see you, and we're good. Everything will be fine. But of course that doesn't work. So we see Jesus in 23 answer Jesus' question with the exact same thing. You love me, you'll keep my word, my commandments, and I'll manifest myself. Me and the Father will come make our home with that person. This is Jesus telling Philip, I don't want people just to see me. I want to live there. I want to be in them. I want them loving me through faith and acting and talking and loving like me so that they can experience me now, not just later. And another really cool thing about this, when Jesus says we're going to come make our home in that person, that word home is only used one other place in the New Testament. And it's in this chapter when Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many homes, rooms, so as Jesus points to eternity and us being with God forever in eternity, He's saying, I don't want to wait to be with you. In your love of me, in our transformation of you, we're going to come make our home in you now, on the way, as you wait. You're going to have me as you wait. And this is great, but how in the world and we, we, we get to meet the Holy Spirit in how this is possible? So in 16, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Fully God in all true believers, and all Christians. So we go to verse 26, see him elaborate on the Holy Spirit a little bit. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus says this spirit this helper that will be in you he will help you understand my teaching he will help you remember he'll help you understand what this is all about we can probably all relate to a time where knowing that help was needed was a comfort to us or makes us feel better Uh, this past weekend me and bradley and jb and george were helping adam carson move some stuff and adam had a cooler in the back of his car i've opened a cooler before I couldn't open Adam's cooler, and I felt so dumb because I couldn't open the cooler. So then big George comes over there, and he tries to open the cooler, and he couldn't open it either, and I felt so much better. (laughs) Adam had to come open the the cooler, and just our common ground in needing help was helpful, and it was encouraging. And here we see Jesus implement that, expect pretty low levels of understanding and even obedience in a big respect from these men. Pre spirit and Him acknowledging, hey, y'all need help, and I'm on it. And I have a really specific thing for us as a church in this. You know, as we call our church family into regular personal time with God, I pray that you'd be reassured by acknowledging that you not only need help, supernatural help to do that, but you have help. You have a helper if you're in Christ. God gives us minds of, region, of reason and logic, but he also gives us a helper. Taking either over the other can yield some nasty results. We've seen in church history, an overly casual approach to God saying, I don't need to study, I don't need to understand, the Holy Spirit will take care of this, and a haphazard approach that has yielded many a heresy. I think Troy Church, I think we'd fall more into the other ditch, primarily, where we would depend on our minds and our intellect to understand and communicate with God Especially in our rhythms and times alone with Him, and we wonder why we even struggle to sit down and attempt that. We, before Christ, love the darkness more than we love light, and we forget that we have a helper. Just would like to frame the what if. If in the morning or at lunch break or quiet evening after kids are asleep, you approach the Bible and or prayer and acknowledge, God, I need help. And I'm reminding myself, my mind and my logic, that you've given me a perfect helper. Help me listen to him. Help me remember. Teach me. We'll get to talk way more about a lot more the Holy Spirit does on into John. Jesus doesn't stop talking about the Spirit. But for now, take heart that you have a helper that helps us understand things that in of ourselves, are impossible to understand. So that's the second reason. One more reason to take heart. The ruler of the world has no claim on Jesus. The ruler of the world has no claim on Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. The ruler of the world has no claim on Jesus. This is Jesus talking about Satan. Verse 27, the word peace comes from Shalom, the Hebrew Shalom greeting. And it's so cool when these disciples later in John will see a resurrected Jesus, it'll be the first thing He says to them. He'll leave and speak to them in the same word of peace and greeting. And when I read this week, I don't give you peace as the world does, I literally laughed out loud. Because there's nothing in my mind that feels like the world is very good at giving us any peace today. But I'd also like to submit to you that in less crazy times, that's not so quick of a conclusion. We're really comfortable here sometimes, and things seem really great sometimes. We forget, whether we're really afraid or really comfortable, we forget that Christ is the only source of real peace. We see our world unravel in panic. Jesus says, what did you expect from a fallen world that's dying and rebelling against me? What would you expect? And Jesus here, until peace, the person, returns, there will be pandemics and wars and disasters and As much as it claims, the world cannot offer peace and finality to that. In the face of all this, in a real, present, active darkness and Satan and demons that the Bible describes is very much real and active and a part of what goes on around us. Jesus says, this guy is personally coming, Satan is personally coming against me in this hour, but he has no claim on me, nothing on me. So on our way out, I want us to hear this and take heart. We learn that Satan is primarily, one of his primary things is being an accuser. So pointing at us and saying, you rebelled against God just like I did. You deserve the consequences, which is death. He's like forensic files. A really good lawyer with a really big file cabinet against all the things that he would point to us and accuse us of as far as us not being good enough to be right with God for eternity. And He comes for Jesus in this hour to seemingly coordinate the death of God, accusing Him all the way to punishment. But there's a big problem. Jesus is not born under the curse like we were. Jesus never sinned, tempted as we were, but without sin. He's perfect. And because of His perfection, The evil one, Satan, has no claim on him. There is no case. And Jesus raises to life because there's no evidence to convict Jesus. There's no basis of accusation in Jesus. And on his way from death to life, he breaks the electric chair for his church. He takes the punishment for the sins of all Christians forever. So Satan points at us, the sins of us, and he says, You're mine. I have proof right here, reaches back to grasp it, to present it, and grasp for air because there's nothing there. Because Jesus took it. Colossians 2, Paul says, it was nailed to the cross. That accusation has been disarmed. Church, of Christ has made His home with us, evil has nothing. Romans 8, 1, therefore now no condemnation. We're not condemned, and we forget at the worst times. And I pray that you would remember now. If we forgave all your material debt today by some crazy means, you'd be really pumped. And it would affect your heart. More so, your eternal debt to the wages of sin has been forgiven if Christ has made His home with you. If you believe in Christ, it ought to give us much heart. We're not condemned, and the world is not outside God's sovereignty. This seeming death blow from the ruler of the world would yield salvation Re- reconciliation for the church. Some of you here may need to see Jesus and love him and want him for the first time. We believe that God, through the, the true things that we have read about him, calls people to that, enables people to that. Don't put that past God. And I pray that you would talk to us if you think God might be doing that work in you, that you would catch us after out here. Sign up at the back to be talked to in a, a slower, more separate moment later. But be open to the fact that God might be allowing you to see Jesus to love Him for the first time. And those of us church just well aware that we're like this. In our context and situation is, is distracting as is this heavy rain. And we look away from beholding a beautiful Jesus that would tell us to take heart that's preparing us for a place, but also letting us be at the best part of that place now as we walk and live and show God to the world. I'm going to pray, ask you to listen to the gift of the Holy Spirit that God's given us as a church.